Welcome to Pebbles of Light. I'm your host, Anne Maxson. Have you ever felt a bit lost during the dark times of life's challenges? I know I have. I'm so grateful for those friends, loved ones, and even strangers that have provided me a pebble of light in the form of understanding and support. They've blessed my life, sometimes even more than they know. Seeing a little bright spot on the path has helped me to move forward when things are difficult. This show is here to celebrate those who add light to our lives. We'll share some of their stories as well as ways in which to light the paths of others. Please come find me on Instagram and Facebook at Pebbles of Light, as well as at ammaxon.com. I love having the opportunity to interact with you and hear about those who've added a pebble of light to your path. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 22 of Pebbles of Light. This week, I have an encore episode of episode six, taking a step into the dark, how to find your path and have the courage to follow it. It is an interview with some of my most inspiring friends, Tessa and Jameis Buck. They share their story of taking a huge leap of faith to find the path that God would have them take. Instead of a sponsor spot this week, I want to shed some light on a fundraising activity going on right now. Last September, my friend Lillian and her nine children unexpectedly lost their husband and father, Sam, to COVID-19. The year of pandemic schooling from home exacerbated the lack of elbow room in their current rental apartment, and there's a group working to do something about it. There's a Facebook group called A House for Lillian's Kids that is doing a service auction for her to raise money to buy a house. There's also a GoFundMe page. I'll link both of those in the show notes. In addition, any sales from merchandise from our See Good Days shop with the t-shirts and bags and other types of merchandise will be donated to Lillian and her family. If you could support them by offering something for the service auction or checking out what they have available, I would really appreciate it. Let's be a pebble of light for Lillian and her kids. A couple of quick reminders to head over to speakpipe.com slash pebbles of light to leave me a voicemail about someone who has placed a pebble of light in your path, or you can email me an audio file to podcast at annmaxson.com. That's A-N-N-E-M-A-X-S-O-N. The last episode was an interview with Emily Jones from Family Tech University. We talked about a lot more than just technology, and there were two pebbles from that episode. The first one was to take some time to assess your personal use of technology. Maybe try the activity that we mentioned of going to a park and watching the role technology plays in others. Personally, we just got back from a 2,300-mile road trip to a bunch of different national parks and things, and it was so nice to just focus on my family and not worry about technology. Second pebble from that episode was if you're a parent, take some time this week to think about what you are grateful for for each of your kids. For me, focusing on that gratitude in my kids has helped me to feel inspired as to how to help and support that particular child. Okay, now back to this week's episode. I don't even know where to start with the awesomeness of Tessa and Jameis. They are just an amazingly wonderful couple. I first met them shortly after they had just taken this huge leap of faith that we'll be talking about. Within the first few minutes of meeting Tessa, I was struck by her genuine kindness and her desire to help and support others. She and Jameis have inspired me to work hard, learn new things, and be grateful for the journey. You'll see what I mean as we get into this conversation. Thank you for tuning in for Pebbles of Light. Today, I have some of my favorite people here. We have Tessa and Jameis Buck. Tessa, do you want to take a moment to introduce the two of you? Sure. So I'm Tessa, but Anne knows me as Teresina. That's my given name. But just about five or six years ago, I started going by Tessa. It's a little bit easier for people. I'm originally from the Boise area in Idaho. And Jameis is from the Oregon coast. And we've been married for about 23 years. 
And we have four kids and we live in Utah currently. And I'm sure we'll tell you a lot more about ourselves throughout this episode. As we get going. Thank you. And Tessa and Jameis have a podcast as well. It is called Your New Favorite Word. And it quickly became one of my favorite podcasts. It talks <laughs> a little bit about word etymologies and it's just exciting. Jameis, do you want to tell a little bit about the podcast and kind of how it came to be? Wasn't it a quarantine project? It was. So in March, after everything shut down, um, I kind of wanted to do a podcast and I pitched the idea to Tessa and she was on board. And so we we hopped into it. Both of us have, have loved words. I learned to love words even more after I married Tessa and uh, just exploring etymologies and, and the quirks and histories of words and the, the odd ways they're used is a lot of fun. And that's kind of we try and bring that that love of words to the podcast. Yeah, it is. It really is great. And I've introduced a number of people to it, and they all have said the same thing, that they really enjoy it, and they love your interaction and your chemistry. Good thing you guys are married. Oh, yeah. So you can um, share a little bit about words. And it's fun because as I go throughout my week between your episodes, I start thinking about words. And sometimes I text you and be like, hey, I thought of this word. I actually have a whole list to oh, send fun. you sometimes. We love when you do that. Thank you. So when I decide that I want to start a podcast, I'm not going to lie. You two were number one on my list. You really were. Aww. You were at the very top of my list of people I want to talk to just because you have been such amazing examples to me of being able to follow wherever it is that the Lord leads you and being able to find those little pebbles of light that will direct your path. And a few years ago, you guys really dedicated yourselves to being able to do that. So Tessa, could you explain a little bit about that process for you guys and, and the backstory with that? Sure. It's a little bit hard to know exactly where to start the story, but um, about seven years ago, Jameis and I started to have some persistent thoughts and feelings that some big changes were coming up in our lives. We weren't sure what that meant, but since both of us had those impressions, we took it pretty seriously. Um, we were at a place in our lives where Jameis was working at his dream job and we things were just going really well. Life was great. But we started to get a very specific prompting that Jameis should walk away from that job. And there was nothing certain on the other side of that decision. And so we considered that and we prayed about it and thought about it and then hesitated, and ultimately shrank back from the edge of what felt like an intimidating and dangerous cliff. It was a, a pretty scary thing. And, Can you imagine? And so, but the consequence of that decision at the time was an immediate feeling of deep disappointment from Heavenly Father. We, we just really felt chastened. That was the word that came to both of us. And it was a, a really difficult thing to experience. The spirit that we'd felt so strongly withdrew from us for a season. And that was one of the most difficult times of my life, I would have to say, just feeling like we'd made the wrong choice. And the, the thing that I can see now, though, is that really prepared us to respond to the next invitation that the Lord eventually would give to us. And so there came a time when the new year was approaching and 
we really don't like to do New Year's resolutions. We kind of have a joke about that. But what we decided we wanted to do instead was to make a list of everything that we'd been blessed with. So like our material possessions, our gifts, our talents and skills, our education, experiences, relationships, and all our righteous desires, just everything we had to offer. And we took that list to the Lord and let him know that we wanted to dedicate it to him. We wanted another chance to do what he wanted us to do. And we felt that he heard our prayer and that he was pleased with it and he accepted it. And then we waited. We didn't feel like we got an answer right away. Um, But a few months later, we received some unmistakable promptings again for Jameis to leave his job. And I'm going to let him talk a little bit about that experience. Sure. So it, it was kind of kind of complicated. A few years leading up to this, I'd been starting to experience burnout more and more, um, not specifically because of my work or anything related to my job, but just I, I couldn't focus on the, the work. I couldn't sit and, and work for very long at a time. It was getting harder and harder. And it really, in, in retrospect, it feels like the Lord was preparing me to leave my job, almost in a sense of you're either going to leave because you choose to, or you're <laughs> going to leave because you have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so kind of, you know, for my, my mental health, um, I knew something needed to happen. It didn't make the change any less scary. Like we we didn't know what was on the other side. We didn't know if we were going to be safe. We didn't know like health insurance was a big unknown, and um, just you know finances and wondering what we would do without income. But we we knew we needed to do it, and um, it, you know it turns out that my the company I worked for, Basecamp, was incredibly supportive incredibly supportive. They, they, uh, they were a hundred percent behind me making this choice. And we, we parted on very good terms, very friendly. Um, and everyone was so concerned and, and willing to, to help out. Yeah. And they even provided health insurance for us for a year after. Yeah. Wow. Quit. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a couple of instances where I have left jobs due to a feeling of a prompting. And both times, um, my bosses were very understanding, even though we didn't share the same faith or anything. They were very understanding, very respectful of that. And that made that situation so much easier. In my case, however, it was, I was the the part-time income. One time I was the full-time income while my husband was still studying for his board exams. And that was a little scary, but mm-hmm. um, it also, it makes me think of um, Peter and the other fishermen. And when Christ comes and says, come follow me and how it wasn't like they had a bad day fishing that day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. The fish were biting, things were going well, and you're asked to set that aside and follow him. And that can be an intimidating situation. What did your your family and friends say? <laughs> well, it's interesting. There were different kinds of reactions that we got. Um, one of them was 
people really wanted to know why, you know, and, and some of them understand the idea of promptings and have a similar belief system. Others didn't, but there were even some people who are very close to us who are very faithful believers that thought our choice was kind of crazy and a little bit irresponsible. Maybe we're acting in a way that's a little bit flaky and they all wanted to know, you know, what are you going to do? Kind of, you know, what's next? What you're leaving this job for what, you know? Mm-hmm. And the answer was, we don't know. Um, other people were kind of um, a little more understanding and supportive. And that was helpful. And some of the other things that um, happened as a result, um, people assumed that we were doing them to follow our dreams. And (laughs) I always laugh about that because just think about all the things that we've done, the path that we've taken. We never (laughs) dreamed of, of any of this. It was never from us. And so the only thing I can say to that is my dream has been to be completely obedient to personal revelation from the Lord. And in that sense, yes, we've been following our dreams. That's an excellent perspective on that. So when there were negative reactions, were you able to just fall back on that, that first prompting of being like, nope, I'm, I'm doing what the Lord wants me to do. And I know (laughs) that that's the right thing to do. Or did you have those moments where you're kind of like, Oh, now what? And was there kind of a lull? Was it kind of a, you had to wait a minute and take a few steps into the dark before you knew what the next step really was? Oh, that's been the, the entire process. We're still doing that. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> There's definitely uh, some stepping into the dark. Um, as far as overcoming the negative responses, um, it, w- it was hurtful sometimes, especially from close family members. But uh, I, I kind of have come to believe that, you know, their response is coming from a place where they're not feeling the same feelings we're feeling, you know, and, and I look at other people's choices and decisions sometimes, and I think, whoa, that's a little bit crazy, (laughs) you know, and then I have to stop and remember and say, you know what, I'm not feeling the feelings. I don't have any, I don't know, right, I guess, to, to judge their choice based on that. So um, that, that helped me to kind of better understand, I guess, where people are coming from and, and to not be too discouraged by it. That makes sense. I, and I think the flip side of that is even true where if someone is going through a very difficult trial or a grief process or something like that, and you look at them and you're like, wow, how are they functioning as well as they are? Yeah. I think, it, you know, that's kind of the opposite side of that is you're not feeling what they're feeling or feeling. I mean, I don't want to say the support because you guys felt the support as well, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, you're just able to, to rely upon the Lord and receive that, that help and strength and comfort that you need. Yeah. So when you did this, how old were your kids? Was this a family decision or was this a couple decision? Um, it was, it was a couple decision. Um, our oldest was 13. Our youngest was six. Um, we have four kids. So they're 13, 11, eight and six at the time. And, I mean, I can remember having a family discussion about, you know, things are going to be different now. We're, mm-hmm. we're going to be more frugal. We had discussions about what frugal meant and talked about the things we weren't going to be able to do and the things we were going to do instead. And and I really focused on talking about how we're doing what Heavenly Father wants us to do. And 
you know, some of our kids struggled because, you know, they misinterpreted some of what we were talking about and were afraid they were going to have to give up their favorite blanket or their favorite toy or something. But um, ultimately, they they went along with it really well. And I think they all really had very good experiences during that that time. We called it our year of frugality. It's that, that time when we were really basking almost in the blessings of the Lord for, for making this, this uh, choice to follow his promptings. And, uh, it was, it was really wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's one of the happiest times of our life, I think. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just like a, a unified family effort. I feel like I remember some of your kids were even involved with like different things to help raise money not raise, earn money for your family. <laughs> You know, I think there were some marshmallows and wasn't (laughs) Jameis became a bread making superstar (laughs) and a a few different things. But I I, and I could see that 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 was about the time I met you, I think. Right. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Like right in there. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you could just kind of feel this this unified front of your family of (laughs) yeah, just kind of being together and and finding a common purpose together. Absolutely. Yeah, and we just we felt the love of the Lord so much. He was he really blessed us for going out on that limb and following what was so scary to us, but we were able to create bartering arrangements with people. We found opportunities to work in exchange for things we needed. We had unexpected windfalls. And just kind of a miraculous stretching of resources beyond what made any kind of sense on paper. And we felt every single day that he was the one that was providing for us. And it it was a really happy time, which is counterintuitive, right, from a logical perspective. Yeah, from from our society perspective of, oh, leaving a economic stronghold, I guess, and then kind of stepping out and seeing if the wind comes to fill your sails and blow you to the right destination. Mm, yes. So after that, then you guys left Idaho and <laughs> moved to Utah, and I was a bit saddened by that. <laughs> but um, how did that come to be, and how was that move to Utah related to that first step of Jameis leaving his job? Okay. So there were kind of a lot of things that happened in between there. Yeah. But um, at first, you know, we we just got the prompting for him to leave his job and he did that. And then we were kind of thinking, okay, where are we headed next? What What's going to happen now? And we didn't receive any immediate answers. So we just started brainstorming and thinking things out and feeling out ideas and trying things. And um, some of those things just did not work. We kind of, we had this idea of creating these um, creative summer camps for kids. And we, uh, we didn't know the first thing about advertising and we just did our best and try to get the word of mouth out. And um, we got exactly zero signups for that. So <laughs> it was a little bit discouraging, but um, we were just trying things out and the Lord loves effort, right? We've heard that recently. And um, eventually we just would get little ideas and guidance and unexpected directions. So 
one thing is um, Jameis wrote a book. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So it was March when I left my job and towards like fall, August, September. um, Well, rewind a little bit. Before I left my job back in 2010-ish, I had written a series of blog posts about uh, mazes, basically, about programming random mazes. And they were pretty popular. People uh, read them and commented on them, and I got a lot of good feedback. And someone even mentioned, you should write a book about this. And I laughed it off, ha ha. <laughs> um, but, but that fall after I quit my job, that idea came back to me, and I should write a book about it. And I was starting to feel some of the motivation return. Some of the burnout was leading. I was, I'd, I'd done kind of an online quirky novella over the summer that dealt with programming and and started to feel some of that motivation return. And so I was like, yeah, I'll have a go with that. And so I put together a proposal and submitted it to a, a publisher and they, they liked it. And so I was given an editor and I started working on it. And so that occupied me the end of that year into the the next to clear up and until we, we moved down to Utah. And it was, it was a real blessing to have an opportunity to work on this. It was kind of an outlet for, creativity and a way for me to ease back into the, you know, the technical work that I'd been doing my, my whole career. Um, and it just, it was, it was a real confidence booster for me and a, and a real, a real blessing in a lot of ways. And did yeah. it help you kind of renew your love for that, that area of your life? Because you'd said you, you were kind of starting to feel a little bit of burnout. So now being able to do it on your own terms by yeah. writing this book, did that help? Yeah, absolutely. It was in high school when I first started, I discovered computer programming. And the thing that I loved most about it was the fun that it it, it was, like the joy that I had in doing it just for the sake of programming, like finding some quirky project and, and working on it. And, and mazes, computer-generated mazes were one of the first things I learned how to do in high school. Um, and coming back to that, I really did start to rediscover some of my original motivations for the the work that I do. And it really was kind of one of the keys to to turning that whole mental block that I had, turning that around and enabling me to to be productive again and to eventually start earning money and providing for my family again. Okay, so then Tessa, you had a bit of a a change <laughs> as well, right? Yes. So it was, it was in the fall of 2014. Um, we were still just trying to cast around and figure out what we wanted to do. I'd been teaching piano lessons and some music classes and things like that out of my home. And um, that was a small source of income for us. But um, And it was something I really enjoyed. But one day I was out running and I was listening to a BYU devotional podcast. And the speaker said something about wanting to know if she needed to uh, move on and get a PhD degree. And she said that she received this really powerful witness that said, for the mission I have for you next, you don't need this degree. And as soon as I heard those words, just, you know, through my earbuds, I immediately heard this voice in my mind that said, I have a mission for you. And to do it, you need a degree in music therapy. And my initial thought, my instant reaction to that was, 
what in the world is music therapy? (laughs) (laughs) So I know that that didn't come from me, my brain. It was obviously from the Lord. And that was so overwhelming. I remember in my mind, like I think back on that and it was almost like it, it knocked me out or something. Like it was just so powerful and overwhelming. It took me a a couple of days, I think, even to approach Jameis and tell him about the experience. But when I did, he said, well, okay, let's look into it. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's what we did. And, um, and as I looked around, it just, it felt so guided. There are lots of different schools where you can go and study music therapy. I knew that I needed to go to Utah state, Um, I didn't know anyone there. There's no particular reason why, except that I know that that's where we needed to be. And um, as I looked into the audition process, I was very intimidated. (laughs) Um, The year that I applied, they accepted 12 students into the program. And these are people that are very musically inclined. They're performers. They're very experienced. And I am definitely, you know, a struggler with imposter syndrome when it comes to music. So I just thought, well, how can I do this? And the thought came to me just one step at a time. (laughs) So I said, okay. And I looked at that application process and I just did one thing at a time and miracle after miracle happened. I remember waking up in the middle of the night and knowing exactly what I should write in my application essay. Uh, And that was one example. There were lots of others, um, people that helped me. I had um, the dad of a family that uh, took piano lessons with me, um, was very experienced with videography. And he did my initial um, audition video that I had to send in first before the live audition and um, in exchange for piano lessons. So that was Um, really a miracle for me. And uh, just, it was just so obvious that the Lord was, had a hand in it. And then when I went to audition, I just remember feeling so just intimidated and just walking past the room where someone was practicing and just thinking, oh my gosh, I have no chance. (laughs) (laughs) And then going into the audition itself and some things went well, some things did not go well. But one of the things that happened is they asked me because, so I actually have a master's degree in teaching English to speakers of other languages, something completely unrelated. So this, this revelation to go back to school for a second bachelor's in a completely unrelated field is just, it was so illogical, right? (laughs) made no sense on the surface, but Uh, So they asked me in the interview there, they said, so I see you have a master's degree in this other field. So why are you here? And I had a split second where I was like, do I tell them the truth? And I said, I have to, there's no other answer to this question. And I said, I am here because God has a mission for me and I don't know what it is, but to do it, I need a degree in music therapy. (laughs) And the spirit was so overwhelmingly strong in that room. I felt it. And I, I just thought, you know, I don't know if they're feeling it, but I am. And I know that this is the truth. And, um, but I came out of that audition, just drained. (laughs) And I just thought, well, 
I don't think that went very well, but I can try again next year because <laughs> it's a once a year kind of entrance yeah. for the program. But um, it was a couple weeks later, I was just in the kitchen, just doing dishes or something like that. And I just got this overpoweringly positive, happy, joyful feeling. And I just, the thought came to me, they've decided to let you in this program. (laughs) And I just thought, okay, that's great. (laughs) But then you start to question that. Was that just what I wanted to believe? Or And so then um, a few weeks later, when the letter arrived in the mail, that's back in the old days already. (laughs) They they do it all electronically now. But uh, I remember just holding that letter and just trembling and not wanting to open it because I didn't want it to be a rejection letter. And it's funny, I've talked with my cohort mates that were accepted that same year. And all of us said that first paragraph of the letter sounded like it was going to be a rejection. Oh, really? It was terrible. (laughs) So you read through the first paragraph and you're stealing yourself for the next sentence saying, oh, this is, this is not going to be good. But then the next sentence is congratulations. We would love to offer you a position in our program. So that was, it's crazy. And and that there is nothing short of a miracle that made that possible. I was supposed to be there. And yeah. so, um, so we picked up and moved. So that was, I auditioned in February of 2015. And then that fall, I started the music therapy program at Utah state. And it was four years of coursework and then a six month full-time internship. And then finally, like due to COVID, it took forever to be able to take my board exam. But at the end of this past summer, I was able to do that and become credentialed as a music therapist. And just in time for no one in any of the settings that I want to work in to want anyone from the outside to come in and work. So I, I'm still figuring out what the next step is going to be. What that mission is that exactly. you need the degree for. Exactly. So, and I've, I've had little hints here and there all through the entire thing. Um, but, but we're still, still walking into the dark. Sometimes I feel like we get those promptings that we need to do something. And in our mind, initially, it's for the sake of someone else. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes what we gain out of the process is even greater. Absolutely. That's absolutely true. And I feel like in this process of deciding to go to school there and the application process and all those different things, did that really help you kind of really fine tune your relationship with the spirit and being able to receive personal revelation for you? Yes, I I would definitely say it did. I mean, I feel like I've always... Uh, relied on the spirit a lot. I've always been blessed by the Lord guiding me through inspiration, but, but yes, this made me more confident in knowing that certain things were from the spirit and not just from my own brain and uh, feeling like I could really trust in him to catch me, you know, that I wouldn't fall. And I actually, I recently was thinking about um, a post that I made on Facebook way back in 2016. So it's in the 
throes of this program and where I really struggled. I was, I had to be very vulnerable and do something that was very difficult for me. I had these students around me who were much younger than I am and much more experienced with uh, the kinds of things that we studied in music in particular. And to feel like I wasn't that great at certain things. Um, but this was a post that I wrote. I said, a rough day today. In the midst of the struggle, I cried out toward heaven. What if I can't be what you're asking me to be? Instantly, this thought came to my mind. What if I'm only asking you to be obedient? Ooh. I love that. that. Oh, it was so, it was pivotal for me. No, it's okay. I don't, I don't need to do anything in particular. I don't need to be the top of the class. I don't need to even finish this program if it's not what the Lord continues to ask me to do. I just need to be obedient from moment to moment and know what he's asking me to do. So I remember one time, um, Tessa was our primary music leader and (laughs) I was teaching sharing time. And in the middle of the lesson, I had this prompting come to my mind that I had to ask her a question about being obedient to first messages. And I don't remember if, I don't think so, because I don't think he was a general frequent general conference speaker yet. But Elder Rasband has given a talk where he talks about being a first responder. And I had oh. asked you more or less about that, about the idea of being a first responder when you receive a prompting. And you said something along the lines of, when you ask your children to do something, you are very appreciative <laughs> if they respond not only the first time, but also happily or yeah. at least not grumpily or whining <laughs> or complaining and how you feel it would be the same way with our Heavenly Father, that he would want us to respond happily the first time that he asks us to do something. And sometimes we don't. I didn't I didn't actually know that, that you guys had kind of received that nudge for Jameis to quit his job before and it took a second yeah. nudge. But that's happened to me as well frequently. I mean, but also particularly with a job situation. My uh, in October, when we when we first started talking about Home Center Church, that October mm-hmm. general conference, we went for a walk. A, a family walk on Sunday. And at the time I had been working at a hospital. I worked from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., like three or four days a week. And the income was fantastic. And mm-hmm. it wasn't really intrusive on family time, all these different things. And we went on this walk right after we'd had b- this talk about home centered church. And I had such a strong impression that I need to quit my job. And I was like, that Mm. makes zero sense. Like it's not (laughs) super intrusive on family time. It helps pay off student loans. Like there's all these reasons why this is a good job. And it had been kind of my dream job as a pharmacist to work in a hospital. Yeah. And um, I thought, I don't know. So I told my husband, Doug, I said, Doug, I, I don't know. This doesn't make any sense to me. And he said, well, let's just think about it. And at the time, so we had moved the April, no, we'd moved in the middle of the summer, around August, we'd moved into a new home and we mm-hmm. hadn't been able to sell our home in Caldwell. So we're carrying two mortgages. Oh yeah. And which was crazy because the market was hot and we, for some reason, our house just wouldn't sell. Oh, frustrating. And the prompting kept coming that I needed to quit my job. And I was like, I, I don't know. And so finally <laughs> it gets to be December. I think it was in December. I felt, okay, 
for real. So you need to quit your job. <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> okay, okay. Like I will do it. I'm not asking for a sign, but it would be really <laughs> fantastic <laughs> if Doug didn't have to try and provide enough money for two mortgages. Like we can make it work, but it'd be nice if we could mm-hmm. sell the other ha- the other house. Uh huh. So I put in my notice on a Thursday and we got a full price offer, which had dropped significantly from when we first listed, but oh, we got a full price yeah. offer for the price we'd had listed within mm-hmm. three days. Wow. But so then I'm like, oh, I wonder if I, we would have sold it <laughs> like <laughs> before, but yeah. And I think it's important to think about that, that idea of being a first responder and how, yeah, with our kids. Do you remember that conversation from primary? Yeah. Yeah, now that you bring it up, that does sound familiar. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of too, this is a story that is really connected with this idea in my mind, but there's um, a world-renowned performer and acrobat from the 19th century named Charles Blondin. Maybe you've heard the story, but he, on many occasions, walked a tightrope um, stretched across Niagara Falls. So it was this kind of publicity stunt he did on several occasions and he would do really crazy things like he would run across it or he would walk backwards or do a headstand on the rope or my favorite one. He carried a small stove to the middle of the high wire and started a fire in it and cooked himself an omelet to eat. And then he walked all the way across. So it was this amazing performance. But during one of his performances, he blindfolded himself and he put a wheelbarrow up on the tightrope. And he said, do you believe that I can walk across this tightrope blindfolded with a wheelbarrow, you know, this huge crowd gathered and they were all like, yes, of course you can. You know, they all believed it. And then he said, okay, who will get in the wheelbarrow? Oh, wow. (laughs) And of course no one volunteered. Right. But that, that's how I feel about this whole situation, right? The Lord asks us, do you believe that I can change your life? Do you believe that I can make you what you need to be? Do you believe that I'm in charge? Right. And Mm -hmm. we say yes, but then are we willing to get in the wheelbarrow? I love that. And yeah, yeah, just have faith that who he wants us to become is even greater than any plans that we can have (laughs) for ourselves. So true. That's definitely how I feel about it. Mm. I love that. Thank you for that. Uh, as kind of a final question, I want to ask you, um, when you think about pebbles of light being placed in your path, is there any particular experience? I mean, I think this this podcast episode actually probably qualifies as an explanation <laughs> of one of those experiences, but can you think of any particular experiences or people that have come into your life and provided a pebble of light for you? That is a really good question. I would... I would have to say, for me, a big part of it would be the people that I have met through my martial arts journey. Um, I never expected to start doing martial arts. We needed an outlet for Britain, who was very active and energetic and eight years old. And so we, we signed him up. And the first month, I, I went with him and would watch from the side and I started thinking, you know what, this would be fun to do with him. And so I started doing the classes myself as well. And the people that I've met through that 
the the head instructor, the the the, the instructor that taught me was uh, he was 16 years old at the time he started teaching me, and he's just one of the the neatest guys, just so kind and modest and humble. And then the, the head instructor is just an amazing guy. And all these people have just really encouraged me and lifted me up and helped me to realize aspirations I didn't know I had and potential I didn't know I had. They, um, and not, not all of them are religious necessarily, uh, but they're just such examples of humility and perseverance and it's really what I needed at this time, I think, to to feel like I can succeed in something that was brand new to me, very much almost a mirror of Tessa's experience, doing something completely outside of her comfort zone, something totally unexpected. I feel like this martial arts journey has been that for me, and the people I've met have definitely been pebbles of light for me along that path. Um, I mean, I think definitely like Jameis has been a huge source of light for me, just so encouraging through everything, all the new things I want to learn. Um, he's so supportive and I try to be that for him too. I feel like we are definitely a light for each other. And then, yeah, there are countless examples of people and you included that have brought light into my life in a lot of different ways. Um, but you know, I, uh, I could probably say that, like, I've listened to a lot of, uh, I mentioned that I was listening to a, a BYU devotional podcast and I've listened to the BYU I ones and then the, the all in podcast. There are certain ones that I listen to while I exercise or just do different household chores. And I, I feel like I've gained a lot of pebbles of light from those kinds of places and people that they will never know how much they influenced me. Like think about the woman that gave that speech that, yeah, you know, that totally changed my life and my family's life and will continue to influence. And she will never know. I, maybe I should look her up and let her know. <laughs> yeah. Send her a little note and say, thanks so much. After we recorded this, Tessa did reach out to Dr. Peggy Anderson, who wrote that devotional that changed her life. And Peggy wrote back with a very sweet message to Tessa. I love when we have those chances to thank people for the light that they've given us. I'll make sure to link that devotional in the show notes. Also, I want to share a bit more about Jameis's story. After he left that job, he started his own consulting business, did a stint with the startup, and just this past month was hired on at base camp again where he'd started before taking that leap of faith. In addition to the book mentioned in the interview, which was called Mazes for Programmers, Code Your Own Twisty Little Passages, he also wrote an additional tech book called The Ray Tracer Challenge, a test-driven guide to your first 3D renderer, and a fun fantasy book called Basil and Fabian, Three Ways Through, that also teaches programming and algorithms. I'll have links to all of those in the show notes, as well as to Tessa and Jameis' podcast, Your New Favorite Word. The other day, Tessa posted a quote on Facebook by Jody Orgill Brown that said, every interaction is an opportunity to change a life. And that is just what we are all about here at Pebbles of Light. We want to increase those meaningful interactions. I'm so grateful for the meaningful interactions I've had with Tessa and Jameis. I hope that learning about their experience of stepping into the dark and having the courage to follow through has inspired you. I would love to hear your thoughts about this episode. 
Feel free to reach out on Instagram or Facebook at Pebbles of Light or email me at podcast at You can also head over to anmaxon.com to get your gift guide of our family's favorite games. Keep working to identify the bright spots on your path. Thank you for tuning in today. More than what has been said, I hope that you've been able to listen to your thoughts and feelings. Maybe you've thought of someone who's brought light to your path. Let them know of your gratitude. Maybe you've been inspired as to how to add some light to your own path or the path of another. Do your best to act on those feelings and impressions. I would love to learn more about you and your experiences. Please come find me on Instagram and Facebook at Pebbles of Light. If you like what you hear, please review so we can spread this light further. You can find show notes and more resources at ammaxon.com. Until next time.